good morning, everybody. I know you can't say it back to me, but it is still good to be here, even though, you know, things are different. I'm here staring into a camera, not seeing any of your faces. It is good to be here. And for anybody who might not know me, if you're just tuning in as a visitor, um, or maybe you just don't recognize me, my name is David Drover, and I'm an intern here at Calvary Baptist Church and at Mile One Mission. And just like Matt last week, I have the, the great honor and the great privilege of just opening God's word with you and preaching today. So I just hope that, you know, and pray that, that you will be challenged and encouraged today as we open up God's word. But let's be honest, these, these circumstances, they're not really all that ideal. And I don't know where everybody's going to be at today. You know, perhaps some of you are afraid, others feeling down. No doubt some are saying, how long, Lord? How long are we going to have to be in this lockdown? How long are we going to have to keep doing church like this? But then, you know, there are likely others who, who might be calm. Perhaps even thankful as we've only hit our second wave now, we've been able to live those last eight, nine months or so, you know, relatively free and, and life back to normal. But no matter where you find yourself today, I want to assure you of a couple of things. Because just because we're in lockdown, guys, that doesn't mean that God's not working. God is working. He's not phased by COVID-19 and he is in control. So for today, it's been my prayer leading up to this moment. And it is my prayer right now that, that we will be challenged, that God will work in all of us here today through this very passage. So let me encourage you today to pay attention Guys, I know there are probably lots of distractions as you're sitting at home, but, but be still. Fight those distractions and listen to what God says in his word because I'm going to be up front that you know, this, challenge, this passage is going to challenge us. It's going to challenge us because John, he's addressing how we as Christians should treat one another and more specifically how we should love one another. And the challenging part of this text, it's, it's not going to be as much in the understanding of it, but living it out. See, I don't think I'm going to have a difficult time convincing many of you at Calvary Baptist that, that we need to love one another as Christians. But we would do well, we would do well to study this passage, to be challenged on how we love one another, especially in times like these, because how we're called to love one another is to love selflessly. And guys, if there was ever a time that we were going to turn inward Focus on number one. Focus on ourselves. Wouldn't it be now? During a global, global pandemic where we are quite literally locked down and in our homes. So I believe, I really do that this passage, that it's a timely reminder for us as the church. And what I love about this passage, what I love about this book is that John, he's not, he doesn't just challenge us. He does challenge us, but he also gives us assurance and ultimately he points us to Christ. And he provides us the foundation for, for how we can love one another. Because, guys, let's, let's face it. We've all had a moment where it's difficult to love our brothers and sisters in the church. It's just hard. We're not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And, and well, guys, it can be just difficult. But as difficult as it can be, John, he shows us that we can love one another, not based on our strength, but by looking to Jesus. So John, how John tells us, or sorry, how John challenges us by telling us how we ought to love, he also shows us how we have the ability to love one another. So with that, here's the main point today, the sermon 
in a sentence, if you will. So if you're taking notes, you should, should write this down. Calvary, don't act like the world. Love like Jesus. Calvary, don't act like the world. Love like Jesus. So with that, let's read out our passage together. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. You can turn to 1 John chapter 3. We'll start at verse 10 and read to verse 18. So that's 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So our main focus today, it's going to be from verses 11 to 18. But I did read out verse 10 because verse 10, well, it's, it's kind of like a bridge between the previous passage and these next eight or nine verses or so as John transitions his thoughts. So just to recap a little bit about verses 1 to 10, John told us that we imitate our Father. So children of God, they practice righteousness because God is righteous. Whereas children of the devil, they practice sinning because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And again, the point being that we imitate our Father. So in verse 10, what John does, he, he bridges these two passages together by saying, children of God are righteous, but they also love one another. And that love, that stands as evidence that they are truly children of God. And that truth, that's what's being expanded upon here in 11 to 18. And well, this fits really well with how Brother Matt preached last week. He preached from the book of James. And if you can remember, he, he taught us two things. He taught us that Faith without works is dead. And then number two, faith with works is alive. So using those terms from James, John, he's basically saying that the works of an alive faith, they look like loving your brother. Love for your brothers and sisters, it's an evidence of an alive faith. And I hope that by the time that we're finished here, you're going to understand, we'll all understand, including myself, exactly what John means here when he says that we should love one another. And Guys, I hope that we don't just stop at understanding because that would be missing the point of of this text and also the one that Matt preached last week because a real love for one another is always lived out in action. So Calvary, let us love one another like Jesus. For John says that this is the command that they've heard from the beginning to love one another and pay attention to those words, one another. Okay, pay attention to one another because It's really important that you get this. In the context of this passage, we're talking about loving or hating the church. Loving or hating Christians. So I'll say that again. In the context of this passage, we're talking about loving 
and hating Christians, loving or hating the church. John's point is that the world hates while the church should love. And to demonstrate this, John, he, he goes back to the book of Genesis, almost to the beginning of time, to just the second generation, to Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. And when we go to Genesis chapter 4, we read here about two brothers who, who both offered sacrifices to God. And God accepted one of the sacrifices, but not the other. He accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. And this made Cain, he, he got really angry to the point that he actually murdered his brother Abel. And John tells us in verse 12 that Cain murdered his brother because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. See, Cain, he was of the evil one. He did not practice righteousness and he didn't love his brother. Instead, he hated his brother. And this, guys, it's not the, like a modernized, superficial meaning of hate. This isn't like me saying, you know, I hate being cold or I hate winter or um, I hate Barcelona soccer team because I'm a Real Madrid fan or kids, I'm sure you've probably said something like this at home, I hate Brussels sprouts. This is not that kind of hate. Howard Marshall here, he, he defines it like this. He says, hatred is the wish that the other person was not there. It is the refusal to recognize his rights as a person the longing that he might be dead. And Calvin, he likewise says, for we wish him to perish whom we hate. This, this kind of hate towards another person, it completely lacks love. And it doesn't value life. And that's what we see in Cain. Cain, he hated his brother. He hated the fact that his brother was righteous and that he wasn't. He hated the fact that God would look upon Abel's sacrifice and accept it while God would not accept Cain's, his own. He hated Abel's righteousness because deep down he knew that he was unrighteous. And Abel was righteous and God accepted his offering because he gave it in faith. That's what Hebrews 11.4 tells us. He says that by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so because of his hate, Cain killed his brother. Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And ultimately, Cain here, he loved himself. He loved his sin and he loved his evil. And guys, I think we, we see this form of hatred in our culture. Just this past week, a pastor tweeted about it and, and he said this. He said, a lot of people are violently angry for various reasons. And a lot of people wish that other people were dead. See, in this, in this cancel culture that we live in, where everything is so polarized, the mentality is that, you know, you can't disagree with me. There's no room for disagreement. If you disagree with me, well, then you should just be gone. You just shouldn't exist. My position's right. And if you disagree with me, then you must be evil because I'm not evil. And, and that means you're on the enemy team. And well, I hate the enemy team and I hate evil. So now I hate you. But guys, notice with, within that mentality, there's a dangerous assumption that our opinions are always right and always good. See, nobody wants to think about or see or believe in their own evil. It's easier than 
with this mentality to, to hate the other person than to be honest with ourselves that perhaps we aren't as good as we think we are. Cain, he could have, he could have seen Abel's sacrifice. He could have seen his righteousness and repented himself, but instead Cain hated Abel and killed his brother. Calvary, there's no room for us to be like that in the church. There just isn't. There's no room for us to be like that in the church. We should not hate our brothers and sisters in the same way that Cain hated Abel. We should never look at another brother and sister and treat them you know, as a hated enemy, even if they disagree with us, even if they confront us on our sin. And in Calvary, that includes not only our brothers and sisters in this church, at Calvary Baptist, but also our brothers and sisters in other churches. That includes also when we have disagreements with theology and on important issues. See, good theology, it's not an excuse for a lack of love. If it is, well, then you don't have a good theology. And friends, we should not be surprised that the world hates us as the church. We should not be surprised that the world hates us as the church because the world acts and hates like Cain. And remember, when when John talks about the world throughout this letter, he's talking about the world as if it is in darkness, as it lies in the power of the evil one. And this is totally in contrast to God who is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is why Jesus in John's gospel is described as the light of the world. And as I've said it before, you know, John, he's, he's very black or white, light or dark, life or death, love or hate, children of God, children of the devil, love the world or love the Father, selfish love or selfless love. So as John, he, as he continues to build these opposing images, he says that the church should not be surprised that the world hates him because the church walks in the light with God like Abel while the world walks in darkness like Cain. Just consider John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. You know, that famous verse, John three sixteen, but just a few verses after it says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The world doesn't want its evil to be exposed, and well, that's what the light does. So it makes sense that the world would hate the light, and well, this idea, it's actually not that foreign to us. This idea of light exposing what's hidden in the dark. Kids, I don't know if you play this now, but I know when I was younger, I used to always play this game called Spotlight, where basically when it got dark outside, we would go out, a group of us would go out, and a bunch of us would try and hide in the dark while somebody, the person who was it, um, would have a flashlight and basically run around with the flashlight and try and shine it on us and catch us and, and find those who are hiding. That's the whole point of the game, for the person to shine the light on those hidden in the dark. And another example would be, well, with crime. You know, there's a reason that, that most people commit crimes at night. It's because it's easier to hide in the dark and it's easier not to be exposed. When you're trying to hide, the light is not your friend. So Calvary, don't be surprised that the world hates this. Don't be surprised that when we follow Jesus, when we, we preach the gospel, we live out the gospel, that we will be hated because when we do that, when we do that, what we're doing is we're shining the light of Jesus in a dark 
world. And the world does not see that light as a good thing because they don't want to see their own evil. Most people, well, we want to believe that, that we're basically good and when they're faced with the reality of their own unrighteousness in the face of Jesus' righteousness, they, they naturally, they act like Cain. People who are of the world would rather hate us than be honest with themselves, admit their sin, and turn to Jesus. And again, what John is doing here, he's saying that the church should not be like that. Real Christians born of God will love one another in the church, like Jesus, not act like the world. And well, this brings us now to to verses 14 and 15, where John tells us that how we love, how we love is evidence of either our spiritual death or our spiritual life. And I'm going to say that again. Our love for one another is evidence for either our spiritual life or our spiritual death. See, love, it points to life, where a lack of love, or in other words, hate, points to death. And to be clear here, John, his, his point is not that by loving each other, that's what makes somebody a Christian or that's what gives somebody life. That's not the point. The point is that examining our love for one another will show us where our hearts are at. Remember, we imitate our parents, so our love for one another is evidence that we are God's children and therefore have moved from death to life. Whereas hate, whereas hate against each other's evidence that we're spiritual de- spiritually dead, that we're a child of the devil. And John, he's, he's not holding any punches here. Just, just read verse 15. It says, Everybody, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Guys, whether or not we love our brothers and sisters in the church, it's a big deal. I don't, I don't think I can put it any more bluntly than John is here, but, but let me be clear about what he's saying. He's furthering his point that hate is evidence for spiritual death. His point is not that if you literally murder somebody, then you can't have eternal life. God's love and God's grace, it can cover any sin, period, even murder. But what he is saying is that if you hate your brothers and sisters in the church, as Cain hated his brother, then that reveals the state of your heart. Hating, in this sense, is, is equivalent to being a murderer. And remember what Calvin defined hate as, for, for we wish him to perish, to die, those whom we hate. And if you're a murderer, well, John says that you're taking after your father, the devil. For the devil has been a murderer from the beginning. And this is also what Jesus says in John eight forty four. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And that's why John says that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him because children of the devil, they, they don't have eternal life. And guys, I'm going to be honest here. I'm, I'm staring into a camera. I, I don't know who's watching. I can't read your facial expressions. I, I just don't know. But maybe this is hitting you pretty hard right now. Maybe you're feeling convicted. Maybe you feel like your evil or your sin is being exposed. And if that's you, then guys, don't check out. You cannot check out at this point. Don't use that as an excuse to not listen to the next 
you know, half or so of this sermon because there's good news coming. In order for the good news to be good, the bad news has to be bad. And I promise you, good news is coming and you can turn to Jesus. So don't check out. Keep listening. Pay attention. You need to hear this next part. And for everybody, guys, I, I get it. This likely has not been all that uplifting. I, I said at the beginning that I was going to talk about love and well, now up to this point, I, I basically just talked about the opposite of love and, and hate. But, but bear with me to remember that the main point is twofold. It's that Calvary, we shouldn't act like the world in darkness, but that we should love like Jesus in the light. So don't act like the world. Don't hate your brothers and sisters in the church, but do love them like Christ. Because you have passed from death to life and therefore also from hatred to love. John continues, he says, by this do we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Now let's consider this, especially in the context of what we've already discussed, because we cannot begin to, to love one another like Jesus, well, if we first don't know how Jesus has loved us. And I hope, guys, that this is a timely reminder for everybody, because here's the truth. Every single day, You and me, we struggle with our own sin. And every single day, we need to be reminded of the love that Jesus has for us. And guys, it's when we're struggling with our sin. It's when we're struggling with the sins of those around us that it's most difficult to love. But when we look to Jesus, when we see him, when we see his love for us, we'll be able to love one another then as we should. So to see how Jesus has loved us. Let's look back at verse 14. Don't, don't just gloss over when John says that we've passed from death to life because Calvary, we were all once like Cain. We were all once of the world. We were all once spiritually dead. We once hated the light and loved the darkness. We were once enemies of God. So before when we were talking about the world, our reaction should not be to point fingers or to get an hour high horse. When John's contrasting the church and the world, he's not justifying Christians thinking that they're somehow better than the world. We were all once enemies of God. And guys, what changed? How do we move from, from death to life? It wasn't anything that I did. It's nothing that you did. We simply experienced the grace and the love of Jesus. For he laid down his life for us. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. He shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, from a human perspective, we might consider giving our life for a righteous or important person. You know, perhaps a a government leader, a family member, a war hero, a helpless child. We might consider dying, giving up our lives for one of those people. But now think about the opposite. Think about the, the corrupt government leader, the serial killer, the the terrorist. I don't think many of us would say that we would give our lives up for that person. In fact, many of us, we would, we would call for justice to be done for those people. We'd call for justice 
to be done and punishment to be paid for their crime and we'd be right to do so. But I don't think that any of us would want to go and then bear that punishment on their behalf. But guys, realize that when we stand before holy God, God sees our sin as just as evil, just as great as that corrupt government leader, as that serial killer, as that terrorist. But also notice that's what makes God's love so amazing. Because Jesus, he died for us while we were his enemies. Justice was served. He, he paid the punishment that we deserved in our place. That's how he showed his love for us. He died for you. He died for me as we were his enemies. As we were still sinners, as we wronged him over and over and over again. Calvary, that is how God loves you. And John is telling us that we ought to love our brothers and sisters in the church in that same manner. Jesus, he loved us in the most selfless way possible. He literally laid his, down, his life down for us. And in the same selfless manner, we ought to lay our lives down for each other. I love this quote from, from Howard Marshall on this. He, he says that there's no need to define love. It is enough to simply point to the supreme example of it. And that example is the selfless, sacrificial love of Christ. And the point is not that we all need to go literally die for one another. The point is that we should lay down our time. We should lay down our energy, our resources, our feelings, and and ourselves for one another. And again, I'm talking about those of us in the church. For as Christians, as children of God, we should love our brothers and sisters. And John continues in verse 17, he says, but If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If there's somebody in the church who has a need and you're capable of helping that need, then then you should love on them and help them. And guys, we've seen this in our church. We've seen this over the past year even. Last, Last lockdown, sometime, I guess last winter or going into the summer, there was an individual who needed a TV. They wanted to keep up to date with the different online ministries and the online resources that, that we were doing. So they put the ask out to the church. They said, does anybody have a TV that I can just have because I can't get one and I need a new one? And well, thankfully and faithfully, you know, somebody from the church, they provided for that need. They gave up their t- TV and that was great to see. That was a great example of love. And well, another example could be, you know, just something as simple as helping somebody shovel out their driveway. If somebody can't do that and you have a shovel and you have the time and the, the energy and can go do that, then you should. You should sacrifice your time, sacrifice your energy and help out your brother and sister. And these would be the positive responses that, that the church should have to selflessly love by sacrificing our own resources, our own time and our own energy into helping one another. But there's more to it than simply meeting the needs. There's more than just meeting the needs. John, in this verse, he tells us the negative response. He says the response of someone closing their heart against their brother. Or in other translations like the CSB, it says withholds compassion from them. And friends, don't miss this. John doesn't address the problem here as merely not meeting the need, but as a lack of compassion. Meeting each other's needs is important. But what's most important is where your heart is. Are you helping others only because you're told to? 
Or are you helping others out of an abundance of compassion and love because you see your brother or your sister in need and and you love them and their well-being more than your possessions? Because you love them more than your gas money? Because you love them more than your time being spent entertained by television or video games or whatever it is that you do? See, John is more concerned about the church acting out of love than acting out of duty. The goal here is not legalism where we help one another in order to make ourselves look good. The goal here is to love God and then one another as a family. To let that lead us into action and when our brothers and sisters need help, that we help. See, a heart full of love will live itself out in service. And guys, get this. Calvary, you are my family. You are my family. You are my brothers and my sisters. Notice how John, he keeps using that term over and over again. Brothers or brothers and sisters. He's driving home the point that church is meant to be a family. That as children of God, that means that we are brothers and sisters. And I'm sure that there's many of you out there who would say that you would sacrifice anything for your biological family. That you would give up anything. And you probably, many of you probably have sacrificed a lot for your family. And that's great because it shows your love for them. But in the same way, John is telling us in this passage that we need to love our church family like that. Selflessly and sacrificially. And, well, if we don't, if we close our hearts against each other, then John asks, how could God's love abide in us? And the answer is obvious. It, it doesn't. But don't misunderstand here. John is, is not saying that we need to love perfectly or that at some point if we fail to love our brothers and sisters, then we're not a Christian anymore. That's not what he's saying. Earlier in the letter, he says that if we, if we say that we don't sin, then we're deceiving ourselves. But what John is saying is he's making the point that, you know, this is what children of God are like. This is what they're like. They love one another. You know, what are... What are What characterizes the church? It's their love for one another. And this is just like what Jesus said in John chapter 13 when when he says that this is how the world will know you are my disciples, for your love for one another. And what John is also saying here is that when we close our heart against one another, we are failing to understand God's love for us and we are also failing to love God. And I'll say that again, when we close our hearts against one another, we are failing to understand God's love for us and also failing to love God. Because again, our example and our foundation for how to love one another is God's love for us. And it's his love for us that enables us and empowers us to love. After all, as children, we we imitate our father. And guys, this is a beautiful truth because, well, let's, let's take another minute to be honest. I'm not perfect. And neither are you. As your brother, I'm going to fail to love you in the way that I should. And as my brothers and sisters, you guys are going to fail to love me in the way that you should. No family's perfect. And that includes our church family. We're not perfect. But in those moments when we're facing the the messiness of life, the messiness of family, when we're confronted with our own sin, we're wrestling with that, we're wrestling with the sins of each other, or even possibly both, when, when one of us is being stubborn or unreasonable and the other fighting the temptation to sin, guys, in those circumstances, we don't need to rely on our own strength. If you're feeling like you're struggling to, 
to love others in the church, the application today is not for you to tighten up the bootstraps and try harder to love better or to perform more acts of love. The application here is to first know God's love for you, for us, and to dwell on that. And when we do that, we'll begin to love better. When we can remind ourselves of how Jesus has loved us as his enemies, and that will empower us to love because Jesus, when he came and lived and died and rose again, he didn't do that without compassion. Jesus didn't do that without love. He didn't do that half-heartedly. He did that as an outpouring of his love for you. And guys, then when we go even deeper and we see what, what Jesus was like, how he cared, how he was compassionate when he looked among the crowd and saw them like they were sheep without a shepherd and had compassion on them. When you begin to see Jesus' gentleness, his accessibility as kids, they just loved running to him and being with him. His serving heart as he quite literally washed his disciples' feet. His tenderness, his passion, his love, his power as he cast out demons and healed the sick. When we see him and realize that, that he is the one who would give his life for us, for us, the ones who hated like Cain, for us, the broken, the messed up sinners that we are. When we understand and realize that somebody like him would love people like us, that just overwhelms our hearts. And, and when that kind of love abides in us, when the well of our soul is filled with the love of Christ, it just overflows. And, and that overflow, it leads us to love one another. No wonder that, that Jesus, when he's talking with the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, he says that whoever drinks of my water will never be thirsty again. God's love and God's grace is sufficient, sufficient for us. So are you struggling today? Have you been challenged? Have, have you felt convicted? Then turn to Jesus. Let his love abide in you and then love one another. This is what Jesus teaches in John 15. You know, when he says that he is the vine and that we are the branches and that we can do nothing apart from him. If we are the branches and we're going to bear fruit, if we are going to lay our lives down for one another, then we need to be sustained by the vine. We need Jesus. Branches by themselves, they don't bear fruit. And guys, don't miss that this gives us assurance that we are children of God. This is how we know that we've passed from death to life for how we love one another. Because our love for one another is a result or an outflow of God's love for us. If we as branches bear fruit, then that's evidence that we're truly connected to the vine. As we love one another, that is evidence that we are children of God. And Charles Spurgeon, he, he summed this up so nicely when he said, the child of God works not for life, but from life. He does not work to be saved. He works because he is saved. And But guys, don't miss what this assurance means for us, especially in the hard times. Maybe one of you, you're, you're sitting at home right now and you're looking at me and you're going, all right, David, you know what? I get it. 
we got to love one another. That's what we're supposed to do. And I feel like, I feel like I've done that, but my relationships still aren't what they should be. We're still in lockdown. What now? And well, if, if that's you today, then my friend, I just want to tell you to rest. To rest in the assurance that you have. There's a peace that comes with knowing Jesus. Know that your love for other believers is evidence that you've passed from death to life and know what that life is like. Know that you have life and then, and then turn to Jesus, remind yourself of what that life is like. An eternal life with God who created you. A life spent with God who humbled himself and gave himself up for you. A life with Jesus, the one who knows you completely, every fault, and yet still loves you perfectly. A life where you can rest and actually achieve and have peace because you have everything that you will ever need in Jesus. Our, our love, it gives us assurance that we have a real relationship with Christ, the one who has loved us and the one who has saved us. Calvary, don't act like the world, but love like Jesus. And as verse 18 says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And, and as we close, let me challenge you with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Guys, let that not be true of us. People in our church, including myself, will probably be uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, and unattractive. But don't let that stop us from loving each other, even in the midst of a global pandemic. Who in the church can you call and pray with this week? Who in the church might you be able to go help shovel out their driveway? Whose groceries might you be able to go and pick up and deliver for them safely? Whose house can you drive up to and just socially distantly wave at and, and say hello safely? Who in the church can you safely love on this week? Or perhaps you've realized that you failed to love somebody in the church and you need to ask for forgiveness. So who could you ask for forgiveness from this week? So brothers and sisters, as we act, as we do these things, do them out of an abundance of love that God has for us. So Calvary, go and be the church. Go and be a family. Go and love one another in a real and meaningful way. Let's pray. Father God, it is good to, to be able to be here and preach, Lord. Um, I'm just so humbled and thankful for this opportunity to, to open up your word before my brothers and sisters. And God, I just want to ask that you would help us to love one another this week. Lord, our circumstances are not ideal, but that shouldn't stop the church. So Lord, help us to love one another and ultimately, Lord, help us to love you. Help us to know your love for us and help us to love others because of that. So Father, just ask for your blessing upon all of us at Calvary Baptist this week. 
Lord, help us to love and help us to know love. In Jesus' name, amen.